Good morning. How are we doing? Good. On this uh, wonderfully balmy May day. But that's great because that means that uh, Memorial Day is coming, the official beginning of summer, right? Nobody's excited about summer? Come on. Yes, 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 yes. And I know that everyone's excited about the fact that May is um, American Cheese Month. I don't know, does that mean that you only eat American cheese, or is this only for America? I don't know, just go home and eat some cheese. Is it Motorcycle Month, too? Go ride a motorcycle, too. While eating cheese. No, don't do that. Question for you, though. How many of you have heard about this Internet thing? You guys familiar with that? You know, I've spent some time on it, and I really believe that this thing is going to catch on. No, it's going to be big. I know some of you have thought that this was just a fad, but it is going to be around for a while. Thank you, Al Gore, right, who famously claimed to have invented the Internet, which he did not. He did, however, and we'll give him some props here. He did recognize the importance of the Internet, and he helped to advance legislation to develop and support the information superhighway, as it's become known. But he didn't invent it. Anyone know where the technology came from? Anybody? Close. Well, it's the military, right? It's the military. Back in 1969, the military started sending messages from one computer to another. And this was the beginning of the Internet. So it's the military. And that's really not surprising, right? It's where we get most of our advanced technology. The military does a lot of research and development. And this, this Internet thing that they came up with, I think it's here to stay. Now, how, you might ask, do I know all of this stuff? Well, I looked it up on the Internet. I did a Google search. It is amazing the information that you can mine on this internet thing. You want to know something? What do you do? Yeah, you look it up in the encyclopedia? I mean, do those things even exist anymore? You know, when, when, when I was growing up, that's all we had. And I believe that my children think that my encyclopedia was chiseled on stone tablets. Right? But they had paper back then. Some of you may remember the stone tablets, but we'll let that go. But these days, if you want to know something, if you want information, you look it up online. As a matter of fact, I did a Google search on this very subject, and I found something very interesting. Listen to what I found. The fact is, everything you need to know is online. Everything you need to know about science. And actually, you could take that last word and plug any subject in there, everything you want to know about any subject. I love this one. Everything you need to know when you're eight. And that seems kind of arbitrary, right? I wish I would have had that when I was eight. I would have known everything I need to know. 
about this? Everything you need to know, but we're never told. Seems people have been keeping secrets from us. Who knew, right? Everything you need to know and where to find it. I thought you found it on the internet, right? And of course, this one, everything you need to know about everything. Wow. Isn't it comforting to know that the internet is all you need? It's enough. Or is it? Well, today is our last in a series of messages on the Bible. God's holy and inspired word. And friends, it has been my hope and prayer that our eyes have been opened to what we have before us in this book, the words of God himself. This is how the God of creation has chosen to reveal himself to us. It only makes sense that we give it our full attention. And I hope that we've learned something about God's word along the way. Early in our exploration of the Bible, we learned that this is, in fact, the very word from God. And we learned that this book that we have before us today, we looked at how it came together, right? How it was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 or so authors. No other book like it. No other book like it. We learned and we've seen the transforming power and the authority of the word from God. And we learned that we can understand the Bible since it speaks with clarity. It's clear in its teachings. And we have the Holy Spirit to guide us into the truths in the words that we read. We know from last week's message that the word of God is necessary. It is necessary. We need the Bible in order to know with certainty anything of salvation. We need the Word to daily feed us spiritually, to maintain and grow in our spiritual lives. And of course, we need God's Word to know His will, His will for each one of our lives, to lead a blessed and content life. Well, today as we wrap things up, I want to examine one final concept, and that is the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture. In other words, is the Bible enough? Is it everything that we need for knowledge? Specifically, knowledge about God and what He wants us to think and wants us to do. Now, before we come to a conclusion about that question, I want to briefly touch on one other subject. See, quite honestly, no in-depth exploration of the Bible would be complete without considering the truthfulness of Scripture and answering the question, are there any errors in the Bible? And that's a question that we must consider especially in light of the way the book came together. You know, we talked about this 40 authors written in three different languages over a period of 1,500 years. Certainly in light of that, 
one might conclude that there must be some inconsistencies. There must be some errors. And we really wouldn't be doing our due diligence if we did not at least consider this question. And quite honestly, we could do an entire series of messages just on this subject, but we're going to address it here this morning. And let's face it, if we are going to put our faith and our hope for eternity in this book, we need to know for sure that there are no mistakes. Because it's all or nothing, right? It's all or nothing. You cannot pick and choose what you believe to be truth and what you believe to be error. That's not how this works. It's all true or you dismiss the entire book. Now let's think about this for a moment. If you remember, we spent quite a bit of time learning about God. If you think back to our Who is God series, one of the things that I hope that we learned is that the God of the Bible is the one true God. Jeremiah chapter 10 reminds us, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God, the eternal King. The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and under the heavens. Jesus, as he prays to his Father in John chapter 17, says, Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Friends, the God of the Bible is the one true God, and in him, we also learned, is found all truth, right? He is the source of all truth. As a matter of fact, he is the standard of all truth. We can then deduce that his words are true. And we know that in the Bible we find the words that come directly from God, and these are words of truth. In fact, Scripture tells us that God cannot lie. And in Titus 1, Paul refers to our God as the God who does not lie. More literally translated, the unlying God. The writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 6 of Hebrews that it is impossible for God to lie. He cannot lie. It's against his nature. Therefore, in other words, because of these facts, the words of Scripture are true, and they are without error in any part. That is to say, the Bible is inerrant. It's without error. And friends, any challenge to that will fail. And we shouldn't be afraid of this. We shouldn't be afraid of people challenging the Word of God because this book, this book has been attacked and it's been dissected for years by many, many people and no one has found any error in it. Now, there may be some passages that use less than perfect grammar. But even using poor grammar, that would not detract from the message. Now, when I end sentences with a preposition, which I often do, that's considered bad grammar. But people still understand what I'm saying. And it's true for Scripture as well. Would it surprise you if I were to tell you that in the book of Mark, there are some original Greek phrases that are considered 
grammatically incorrect. They're just grammatically wrong. But does this detract from the message of the Gospel of Mark? No, absolutely not. The Bible is clear in its message. The Bible is inerrant and does not contradict any known fact, scientific or otherwise. And we should not be afraid of any challenge that comes to the Word of God. What a comfort to know that we can and, and that we do trust in this book. We stake our lives on it. But we haven't answered the question, have we? Is it enough? Is it all that we need? Or is there something more? Well, to answer that, I'd like to begin by looking closely at 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's going to be kind of where we live a little bit this morning. And as a little bit of background, a little bit of context, if you look at the previous chapter, obviously 2 Timothy chapter 2, and then into the beginning of 2 Timothy chapter 3, what Paul's doing here is he is warning, he is warning of the godlessness that's coming as the last days approach. In particular, Paul is warning of the false teachers that will arise. In verses 1 through 9 of 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul describes them. He says, they and mankind in general will be, in verses 2 to 4, lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow. That is one list. And I, I, I can't help but stop here and just ask the question, do we see any of this in our world today? Do we recognize it in our world around us? Absolutely. If you don't believe me, just look at some of the ad campaigns that we've seen over the years. If it feels good, do it. Living with no boundaries. Break all the rules. Relax. No rules here. To know no boundaries. Peel off inhibitions. Find your own road. Just do it. And I could go on. There's more, but you get the idea, right? There are no absolutes anymore. There are no rules. You make up your own. And you do what suits you. You're the only one that matters, right? Make yourself happy. Grab for all the gusto that you can. You deserve a break today. Suddenly everyone has this bizarre craving for McDonald's, right? But seriously, seriously, 
It is the moral relativism that has invaded our society today. It's happening. It's happening. And Paul is warning us about such people who, in fact, as he says in verse 5, have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Clearly a, a, a reference to false teachers here. And friends, there are some out there that appear to be godly, right? They appear to be spiritual. When in fact, they are as self-absorbed and ungodly as the rest of the world. And I know I keep picking on those who pull Scripture out of context, right, and twist it and distort it to fit their own desires. But these are the people that Paul's warning us about. And we must, as Paul says at the end of verse 5, have nothing to do with such people. Another translation says, from such people, turn away. And it's our responsibility as Christians to not only turn away from these attitudes and sinful behaviors, but also turn away from the people who do these things, have nothing to do with them. Paul warns us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. And here I prefer the English Standard Version translation. It says, do not be deceived. And friends, I want us all to know that Satan is out there doing his best to deceive us with all these false teachers that appear to be godly, when in fact they are directing souls down a path that leads to eternal damnation. They're taking people to hell. I can't help it. I can't put it any other way. We don't sugarcoat this stuff. Because it's reality. So what about us? What word does Paul have for us? Well, in his final charge to Timothy from 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verses 12 and 13, he writes this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now hold on, wait a minute, you say. That doesn't sound like a good word to me. Persecution? That doesn't sound good. Things going from bad to worse? Deceiving and being deceived? That doesn't sound good. But it's the truth. It's the truth. You want the truth? It's right here in the Bible. See, the problem is, there are those out there who would tell you that when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, everything's going to be fine. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. If you just have a little bit more faith, you'll be blessed. You'll get that great promotion and that high-paying job that you've always wanted. You'll find that perfect mate, and you'll live happily ever after. You'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. If you, just, if you just give a little bit more, you just, you just plant that seed money, the Lord will bless you and, 
and your, your mortgage will be miraculously paid off. God's going to bless you and everything's going to be fine. Are there people out there teaching that? Yeah. But that is not necessarily the truth. The truth is, yes, God wants to and will bless you, but let's remember what it means to be blessed. Because it has nothing to do with stuff. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with relationships. It means happiness and contentment and being reconciled and made right with your Creator. And Paul here is opening our eyes to the reality of the world in which we live. It cannot be denied. And that can be troubling. I get it. I'm with you. But stay with me here. Stay with me because the good stuff is coming. In verse 10 we read, But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. Paul says, continue. And the Greek word here that's translated continue can also be translated remain or abide. Abide, live in it. It's the same Greek word that John uses in 1 John chapter 2 where he writes, let what you heard from the beginning, in other words, the scriptures, let them abide in you. And the encouragement from John, the encouragement from Paul here is to remain steadfast in the face of false doctrine. Cling to what you believe, what you know to be true, to what you've learned, to what you firmly believe. And that, friends, it takes self-discipline. It takes faith. It takes courage to remain and continue in those things when current culture is trying to pull you in the opposite direction. We are called, friends, to have that kind of discipline and faith in the face of what we're seeing in our culture today. Paul goes on to write about, in verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And here's where we really start mining the gold. This is where we get to the good stuff. This is, this is where we zero in on the question that we ultimately want to answer this morning. Is Scripture enough? And what we see here, what Paul is telling us, is that it is enough in order for us to be saved. These sacred writings here that Paul refers to, we are able to understand from the context of the passage, is the Scripture. And this tells us that the words that we have from God, the Bible, right, is all we need in order to be saved. These words make us wise unto salvation. We need no other words to make our salvation complete. And we find confirmation of this in other passages in the Bible. John 1.18 tells us, He chose to give us birth, in other words, salvation, 
through the word of truth, through the word of God. 1 Peter 1 says, For you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Friends, the word of God is enough. It is sufficient for our salvation. But Paul goes on in verse 16. He reminds us there that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And we visited this passage earlier in our series. And we know that all Scripture is breathed out by God. All the writings that we have in our Bible are inspired by God. So what Paul is, in essence, saying is hang on to this word that we have, hang on to the Bible, because it doesn't come from man, but it comes from the mouth of God. And we hang on to it because it is profitable for us. It is critical for teaching and for guiding us through life that we might live lives that are worthy of the calling to which we've been called. And Paul emphasizes that in verse 17 where he follows this idea that the word is useful so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And what I really want us to do this morning is to, is to focus in on these words complete and every. Complete. Now, when Paul says complete here, he doesn't mean that the whole Christian life is about reading the Bible or that the only important thing in ministry is good Bible teaching. Friends, make no mistake, those things are incredibly important. But that's not all of it. Paul here emphasizes that being complete does mean that the Bible leads us into everything we need. It transforms us. It makes us complete. It changes us. It equips us for, as Paul says, every good work. So if there's something that God wants us to do, some good work that he's calling us to, this passage here, tells us that God has made provision in his word for training the Christian to accomplish it. There's no good work that God wants us to do that isn't taught somewhere in Scripture. The word of God will equip us for every good work that we're called to. More than that, all that God requires of us in order to be complete, is written in His Word. Is there something more that we must do in addition to what God commands us in Scripture? Is there something more we need to do to be saved? Is there something more we need to do to com be complete? No, no, and no. Scripture is enough. It is sufficient. Isn't it good to know? 
that we need no other writings. We need no other words. We don't need any other books. We don't need the Koran. We don't need the Book of Mormon or any of the other books that claim to be Scripture, that claim to be some new revelation from God. Because, friends, such a thing does not exist. Do not be deceived. Cling to what you've learned. All we need and everything we need is in the Word of God. This incredible Word from our Creator. Friends, it's been my prayer that over the last six weeks we would have learned something. My goal was to help us all understand that these words in the Bible are the words of God Himself and that the Word is complete just the way we see it before us today. Final. And that this Word has the authority and the power as the words directly from the mouth of God. It is clear, it is necessary, and it is sufficient. It is all we need to be complete, to be the people that God has called us to be. But more than just having the knowledge, I pray, friends, that it would change us. That it would transform us. May the gospel turn us away from the things of this world and toward Jesus. Toward Jesus. You know, six weeks ago, we began with the understanding that Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Logos. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Friends, Jesus is that Word, the one and only Son of God, our Savior. You want to be complete? You want to be reconciled to God? You want salvation? You want the hope for eternity that comes with that? Turn to the Word. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Because the Word, friends, Jesus Christ is sufficient. He's all we need. He's enough. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We thank you so much. We thank you so much for your holy and inspired word, the final word, so powerful, so necessary, so clear, and, Lord, so sufficient. It's all we need. We thank you for the salvation that we have through Christ our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that he chose to come and die for us. And, Lord, we know that he is enough. He is all we need. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.